Chapter Fifteen of A Short History of the World by H. G. Wells. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen: Sumeria, Early Egypt, and Writing. The Old World is a wider, more varied stage than the New. By six thousand or seven thousand B.C., there were already quasi-civilized communities, almost at the Peruvian level, appearing in various fertile regions of Asia and in the Nile Valley. At that time, North Persia and Western Turkestan and South Arabia were all more fertile than they are now, and there are traces of very early communities in these regions. It is in Lower Mesopotamia, however, and in Egypt, that there first appear cities, temples, systematic irrigation, and evidences of a social organization rising above the level of a mere barbaric village town. In those days, the Euphrates and Tigris flowed by separate mouths into the Persian Gulf, and it was in the country between them that the Sumerians built their first cities. About the same time, for chronology is still vague, the great history of Egypt was beginning. These Sumerians appear to have been a brownish people with prominent noses. They employed a sort of writing that has been deciphered, and their language is now known. They had discovered the use of bronze, and they built great tower-like temples of sun-dried brick. The clay of this country is very fine. They used it to write upon, and so it is that their inscriptions have been preserved to us. They had cattle, sheep, goats and asses, but no horses. They fought on foot, in close formation, carrying spears and shields of skin. Their clothing was of wool, and they shaved their heads. Each of the Sumerian cities seems generally to have been an independent state, with a god of its own and priests of its own. But sometimes one city would establish an ascendancy over others, and exact tribute from their population. A very ancient inscription at Nippur records the empire, the first recorded empire of the Sumerian city of Erech. Its god and its priest-king claimed an authority from the Persian Gulf to the Red Sea. At first, writing was merely an abbreviated method of pictorial record. Even before Neolithic times, men were beginning to write. The Azelian rock pictures to which we have already referred show the beginning of this process. Many of them record hunts and expeditions, and in most of these the human figures are plainly drawn, but in some the painter would not bother with head and limbs. He just indicated men by a vertical and one or two transverse strokes. From this to a conventional condensed picture writing was an easy transition. In Sumeria, where the writing was done on clay with a stick, the dabs of the characters soon became unrecognizably unlike the stings they stood for. But in Egypt, where men painted on walls and on strips of the papyrus reed, the first paper, the likeliness to the thing imitated remained. From the fact that the wooden styles used in Shemiria made wedge-shaped marks, 
The Shemirian writing is called cuneiform, wedge-shaped. An important step towards writing was made when pictures were used to indicate not the thing represented, but some similar thing. In the rebus, dear to children of a suitable age, this is still done today. We draw a camp with tents and a bell, and the child is delighted to guess that this is the Scotch name Campbell. The Sumerian language was a language made up of accumulated syllables, rather like some contemporary Amer Indian languages, and it lent itself very readily to the syllabic method of writing words, expressing ideas that could not be conveyed by pictures directly. Egyptian writing underwent parallel developments. Later on, when foreign peoples with less distinctly syllabled methods of speech were to learn and use these picture scripts, they were to make those further modifications and simplifications that developed, at last, into alphabetical writing. All the true alphabets of the later world derived from a mixture of the Sumerian cuneiform and the Egyptian hieroglyphic priest writing. Later in China, there was to develop a conventionalized picture writing, but in China it never got to the alphabetical stage. The invention of writing was of very great importance in the development of human societies. It put agreements, laws, commandments on record. It made the growth of states larger than the old city-states possible. It made a continuous historical consciousness possible. The command of the priest or king and his seal could go far beyond his sight and voice and could survive his death. It is interesting to note that in ancient Sumeria seals were greatly used. A king or a nobleman or a merchant would have his seal often very artistically carved and would impress it on any clay document he wished to authorize. So close had civilization got to printing six thousand years ago. Then the clay was dried hard and became permanent. For the reader must remember that in the land of Mesopotamia for countless years, letters, records and accounts were all written on comparatively indestructible tiles. To that fact we owe a great wealth of recovered knowledge. Bronze, copper, gold, silver, and, as a precious rarity, meteoric iron were known in both Sumeria and Egypt at a very early stage. Daily life in those first city lands of the old world must have been very similar in both Egypt and Sumeria, and except for the asses and cattle in the streets, it must have been not unlike the life in the Maya cities of America, three or four thousand years later. Most of the people in peacetime were busy with irrigation and cultivation, except on days of religious festivity. They had no money and no need for it. They managed their small occasional trades by barter. The princes and rulers, who alone had more than a few possessions, used gold and silver bars and precious stones for any incidental act of trade. The temple dominated life. In Sumeria it was a great towering temple that went up to a roof from which the stars were observed. In Egypt 
it was a massive building with only a ground floor. In Shumeria, the priest ruler was the greatest, most splendid of beings. In Egypt, however, there was one who was raised above the priests. He was the living incarnation of the chief god of the land, the pharaoh, the god-king. There were few changes in the world in those days. Men's days were sunny, toilsome, and conventional. Few strangers came into the land, and such as did, fared uncomfortably. The priest directed life according to immemorial rules, and watched the stars for seed time, and marked the omens of the sacrifices, and interpreted the burnings of the dreams. Men worked, and loved, and died, not unhappily, forgetful of the savage past of their race, and heedless for its future. Sometimes the ruler was benign. Such was Pepi II, who reigned in Egypt for ninety years. Sometimes he was ambitious, and took men's sons to be soldiers, and sent them against neighboring city-states to war and plunder, or he made them toil to build great buildings. Such were Heops, and Hippran, and Mykerinus, who built those vast sepulchral piles, the pyramids of Giza. The largest of these is 450 feet high, and the weight of the stone in it is 4,883,000 tons. All this was brought down the Nile in boats, and locked into place chiefly by human muscle. Its erection must have exhausted Egypt more than a great war would have done. End of chapter 15